Hey, Dante. Hey, Hannah. We are back for another episode of I'm Living Proof. Today, we're going to hear from Sierra, a newer member of our Young Adult Council. Yes, it's always a treat when members of our Young Adult Council share their stories with us. Sierra shares with us in her letter and in your conversation that she's a writer, and you can really hear that in the interview that you guys had. Yeah, you can definitely hear Sierra's an excellent writer, and I really love discussing with her all the kind of little nuggets of wisdom she really interwove uh, uh, in her piece. So it was a really great conversation. Yeah, Sierra's story deals with misdiagnosis. She also highlights how important a good support system can be with the help she received from her parents. And she tells us about her self-acknowledgement looking within and knowing what she needed to improve her wellness journey. Yeah, it was really great to hear from her. And I'm so excited for our audience to hear from her soon. Uh, before we dive in, a couple of quick reminders. Remember, you can always submit your own letter over at dbsalliance.org slash I'm Living Proof. Uh, we would be honored to share your story with our audience. And also don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast. It really helps. Thank you. All right. Without further ado, let's hear from Sierra. Dear Sierra, for years, you carried your mental illness around like an open wound that only you could see and feel. You refused to seek help until on one gloomy day in 2012, you were pushed to the edge of a precipice, breaking down in the high school hallway. Mommy and dad knew you needed help immediately. You were admitted to Peachford Hospital for behavioral health treatment and diagnosed with severe depression at 17. The doctor put you on 10 milligrams of Lexapro. Life went on and you thought you were strong enough not to take any medication, but that mental illness clung to you like bees on honey. It was 2014 and you found yourself back at Peachford Hospital following a suicide attempt and were then placed on 30 milligrams of Lexapro. Throughout your early 20s, you would stop and restart therapy as you carried on, stop and renew positive coping skills. It wasn't until you turned 26 years old that you decided to take back your life following a mental episode that tore at you spiritually and emotionally. Toward the end of 2021, you discovered you were suffering from bipolar disorder type 2 after visiting a psychiatrist. You were so determined not to let that diagnosis be your identity. Instead, it was part of you that you would have to learn and live with to enjoy a stable and prosperous life. As you enter the later part of your 20s, you realize two things. One, you don't go at life alone. Two, healing is there waiting for you when you are ready. You are now on a path of healing with a great support system. You attend weekly therapy sessions every Saturday at 2 p.m. and consistently take the prescribed medications of Lexapro and Abilify. Now you are getting involved in mental health advocacy with organizations such as DBSA and New York University's Active Minds. Look at how far you come, kid. You even found ways to incorporate advocacy with your journalism work by writing stories and interviewing professionals and survivors about mental health issues. Continue to fight for your life. If you could go back and tell 17-year-old Sierra anything, it would be, you deserve to be here. You are not your mental illness. You are love. Sincerely to me.
Sierra, thank you so much for reading that letter. It was it was really inspiring to read and also really inspiring to listen to you uh, repeat it just now. And I'm just wondering, just to start us off, what was it like for you to write that letter? Wow, that's such a good question. Writing that letter really took me back to a very dark place in my life. Um, but I feel like I have told that story so many times that it was a little bit easier for me to write it um, as, a, as opposed to talking about it. So I feel better getting my thoughts down on paper than just saying it out loud <laughs> to people. Um, I don't know. I just kind of feel like that it, it was just me reliving what I have been through and just a part of my life now. Yeah, definitely. And you are someone who identifies as a writer. I think that definitely shows um, in the letter. So I can imagine, yeah, like getting it on paper might be more of a comforting process for you. Is that is that the case when you're writing? It allows you to kind of work through it? Yes, absolutely. Writing in general is just really therapeutic to me. Um, I, I do it for work. I do it for school. I do it in my leisure time. It's just really... Um, amazing process. I love getting my thoughts down on paper. I just feel much more confident when I'm writing. That's awesome. 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 All right. So I want to talk a little bit um, about your journey and your experience. So it sounds like, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like in your letter that treatment was a little bit on and off for you. And, and, you know, you didn't necessarily have the correct diagnosis at first, um, and you write, life went on and you thought you were strong enough to not take any medication. Um, so I'm just wondering kind of what that early experience was like for you. I know a lot of folks in our community don't necessarily want to take medication right away. So you want to talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. The earliest stages was definitely a roller coaster for me. I definitely had my ups and downs. There would be periods in my life where everything was fine. I could function properly. But then when I had those, I would call them like my manic moments I was really up and I was like able to move around and do a lot of different things but when I was at my very lowest I really didn't know how to cope properly so I would turn to negative habits such as cutting and I got into the drinking later on in my life where it became a daily habit like I had to have a drink so definitely um, in the earlier stages of me being diagnosed with depression and then thinking that I had borderline personality disorder and now finding out that I have bipolar disorder type two was definitely just a whirlwind of emotions and challenges that I had to face. Yeah, definitely. I can imagine. So it seems like the first thing that you definitely noticed was the, de the depression, right? Like your symptoms of depression. Am I right? So when you think back to that time, I mean, what was that when you were like, so it seems like it was the end of high school for you that you were dealing with depression? Near the end of my high school years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was that experience like? It was difficult. Very, very difficult. I, I kind of felt like I had no control over my life. I felt like I was a puppet on strings, like my emotions controlled me, my sadness, my anger, everything that comes with dealing with depression. I didn't realize, I didn't understand why I was struggling so much because on the outside looking in, it seemed like I had the perfect picture of life. Like I was very involved in school, a group in a two-parent home. It seemed like I had it all together, but mentally in my head, I just, 
I just didn't have it together. And it just caused a lot of struggles for me um, with, at times, my schoolwork, at times, my friendships, and at times, my relationships. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, especially being diagnosed young and when you're in high school, it's like it's already kind of like a hard time socially for sure. So I can imagine that was challenging. You also just mentioned earlier that you that you thought you were diagnosed with bipolar or borderline personality disorder. Can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, for sure. So um, after my bout with uh, Peach for Hospital, I after community college, I transferred over to Georgia State University. I started attending therapy and the therapist at the time, based on the symptoms that I had, thought I had borderline personality disorder. So that was just kind of the, I don't want to say title, but the identity that I carried around. Like here I am, I'm this person with borderline personality disorder. This is what I struggle with. Um, and it wasn't until it actually last year until I visited a psychiatrist and she told me that it wasn't borderline personality disorder, it was bipolar disorder type two, which ironically enough, my mom thought I had bipolar disorder while I was at Peachford. Wow. Um, she picked up on it, but none of the doctors picked up on it, which is kind of funny because my mom was a doctor. So yeah, that's pretty much that story. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that because I know that there's a lot of folks in our community who may have had a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, and it may be incorrect. And a lot of people do end up, yeah, between borderline and bipolar, which is interesting because they're very, they're very, very different. Um, but thank you for sharing about that. Like, so it's been, you know, pretty recently that you did get that bipolar diagnosis. Um, when that did happen for you, was that clarifying? Was that challenging? What was... Finding out about that diagnosis was definitely bittersweet. I was happy that I knew what actually... I don't want to say wrong with me, but I knew what my challenge was. Um, and but at the same time, I was a bit tired. I was I was a bit frustrated because all my life I was just like I went from thinking that I only had depression to thinking for years I had borderline personality disorder and to find out at 26 that I had bipolar disorder. It was like I kind of felt like I had to start all over again with figuring out what my issues were, what my struggles would be and just kind of getting that help, the proper help. So it's a bittersweet moment. Yeah, definitely. I mean, diagnosis can definitely be clarifying, but I also think it can, you know, especially when you've gone through other diagnoses before that. Um, yeah, it can also be bittersweet as you're describing, definitely for sure. Um, so, and then it sounds like within the last couple of years, and I'm so glad that you found DBSA. I'm so glad that you're a young adult council member. Um, but it sounds like with, you know, you've only been living with or diagnosed for a year, but you, you've turned your energy into advocacy. Do you want to talk a little bit more about how you came to that work? Yeah, for sure. I actually, I've always thought about doing advocacy work. Um, even when I thought I had borderline personality disorder, I started on a uh, presentation about living with a mental illness to help other people prior to finding DBSA, but I wanted to do more. I wanted to attach myself to an organization, one that had already laid the roots of a foundation and that I could work closely with. And so just doing my research on Google, I found DBSA and I, I felt like it was the perfect organization for me. And I'm glad I found it. Um, and it's just been extremely helpful to be a part of a group where I don't feel alone because for so for so long, I felt like I was by myself dealing with this. Um, I wasn't as 
if people ask me about it, at times I would be open about it, but I tried to hide that part of myself for such a very long time. And so to kind of be open about it and say, yes, I, I here I am, I have bipolar disorder, this is what it is, blah, blah, blah. I kind of feel a little bit more confident talking about it and don't feel as embarrassed as I used to. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think it does really, it takes a lot, I feel like, to be able to... Um, do exactly what you're doing with us right now, which is sharing your own story and using it for advocacy. So was there kind of a turning point for you that made you want to to go that route? I just had this voice in my head that said, just do it. Like, just just do it. Just start. Because I, I kind of pondered on it for a, such a long time. And I was just like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Da, da, da. Like, what are people going to say? What are people going to think about me? Because like I said, on the outside looking in, it looks like I have everything together. Um, so I, I just kind of felt um, a spiritual nudge to definitely yeah. just put myself out there and definitely um, get involved with advocacy for sure. That's awesome. Well, and we're so glad that you found us. So, okay, so I love that you write in your letter the two different things that you realized. One, you can't go at life alone. And two, healing um, is there waiting for you when you're ready. That second one especially resonates with me, but I wonder in your experience how you came to those two things and if you want to talk a little bit more about them. Yes, for sure. Uh, the one, you don't go at life alone. I think I tried to, as I mentioned in the letter, like thought I, you know, cope without my medication, cope without therapy. And I just realized that there are just some battles than yourself. And I learned quickly that I just, I couldn't do it by myself, which is, which was very hard for me to come to terms with because I'm such an independent worker. I consider myself a bit of a boss and I'm like, you know, I can do it all by myself. And I was, it's, it's one of those things in my life where I realized that I do need help and I had to actually ask for help, which is very difficult for me to do because I don't like to ask for help with anything. But um, I just came to that realization when I had um, an episode that really tore at me. Um, and then the second one, healing is there for you uh, when you're ready. It's pretty much just saying that when you are ready for help, when you are ready to heal, when you are tired of going through these intense emotions by yourself, when you're tired of crying at night by yourself, um, that that healing is just a phone call away most of the time. Like you can call somebody for these things and actually ask for help. Um, and that, um, you know, cutting and drinking wasn't the answer to my problem. So I just, through my own personal struggles, I came to those two realizations. I love both. Of, I love both of those. I think a lot of times during, you know, and, and through other people's letters, we always kind of get to that place where we talk about, oh, that social support that really, you know, allowed me for the first time to ask um, for help. So for those out there who might be kind of in that place of not, not ready to heal yet, but maybe it's just around the corner, like, I guess, what was the tipping, like, can you say a little bit more about what the tipping point was to reaching out? And 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 I it resonates with me it, it being hard to ask for help. So how would what would you recommend someone who's having trouble asking for help? 
um, honestly, you really just have to want that help, like to kind of get it more to what was the tipping point. I was living in Iowa by myself. I pretty much left everything that I knew back in Atlanta, Georgia to move up there for my journalism career. And I just had uh, an episode, something had happened. I, I don't really remember what it was, but something happened and it took a lot out of me for days. I didn't sleep for days. I was crying every single moment, <laughs> every waking moment. Um, I, I turned to drinking, I turned to cutting, something that I hadn't done in a long time. Like I actually took 10 steps back after taking five steps forward. And it got so bad to the point where my father had to leave his home in Ohio to come stay and watch after me for a couple of days. And I just kind of felt like, you know, this, this, this ain't it. Like, this, this is not it for me. Like, I shouldn't, my dad has his own life to live. Like, all his children are grown. I should be able to take care of myself. Like, I shouldn't have had, I shouldn't be in a position where my father has to leave his work to come watch over me. Like, I'm 10 still. And so it was really a tipping point for me where I was like, I need to go back to therapy. I need to put down the bottle. I need to I need to find other ways of coping that is positive and that and, and it isn't harmful to myself because it not only shook me, but it shook my parents. My parents were very, very scared. They were very, very concerned. And so um, that was really the tipping point for me to finally get help. So it really it all starts with you. Like if you want that healing and you want to stop living in darkness and find some light in life and find a reason to keep on going. I think you have to want that for yourself, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I'm so glad, you know, it sounds like you have also a really good support system who was there for you when you needed it. And it's like, sometimes we get to those really low places and I'm just, I'm really glad you had you had that support when you needed it. I'm wondering for you what it's like, um, I mean, so you've, you're, you're focusing your career on journalism right now. And I think if I'm correct, you also kind of want to write about mental health. I'm wondering how, um, what it's like for you to kind of move into the space of, of doing journalism and also thinking about mental health and what you think, you know, you wish other young people your age would know about mental health that maybe we don't talk about so much. For sure. Um, honestly, that decision to write about mental health came from my obviously my own personal battles. I'm actually working on two pieces right now, uh, which is the marriage between the Black church in the South and mental health issues in the community. And then I'm working on another one where I'm speaking with people who are suicide loss survivors, meaning people who have lost someone to suicide. It's called Life After Suicide that I'm working on. And these are very in-depth feature pieces that I'm writing about, about people who have lived this life and that, um, dealt with the aftermath of losing a loved one and something that I wish um, young people would know about mental health issues is that there's no need to be embarrassed or um, feel some shame like this is something completely out of your control like I'm pretty sure anybody with a mental health issue would say like if they can get rid of it they would like this is not something that anybody wants to live with and there's a lot more people struggling with something than than they may not talk about um and I feel like people are really good at hiding their true selves for the masses and I'm saying like no like it's okay to talk about it. it's okay to get it out because 
that is also healing in itself when you're able to be open and honest about it and it shows people how to be how to treat you how you need to be treated how you need to be handled with care and empathy and love as opposed to being judged because I as you know there's a typical saying oh this person is crazy and I'm like I, I hate that word so much because it's like no people legit cannot control sometimes the inner demons that they're dealing with and so I think it allows people to if people were more open with it it will allow other people to be more empathetic and show compassion so just definitely being more open and honest about what they're struggling with I think the world would be a better place for sure Absolutely. Well, I love that that you're exploring that with your writing now. And I think those two topics you talked about, um, the Black church and mental health, definitely um, interesting intersection. And then the suicide loss survivors, those will sound like really good articles. So you'll have to keep DBSA posted with with yeah, both sure. of those. Sure. If you guys want it, let me know. They'll be done early May. So if you guys want it, yeah. Absolutely. Well, send some drafts to us. I don't know if that will make the podcast the floor or not, but definitely send send some information on those because I'd love to learn more. If you could look back, you know, kind of to your 17-year-old self, to your to your younger self that was first hospitalized, what kind of messages would you want that 17-year-old younger Sierra to know today? Wow, that is such a great question. If I can go back, uh, 17 is so young, um, but I wish I wish I would have spoke up sooner because I keep on going back to my mom, but you know what they say, mama knows best. <laughs> my mom actually asked me if I wanted to get help when I was 12 years old and I told her no. And I think she picked up on certain things about the way I was acting and wanting to get me help and get me hospitalized. Um, when I was younger and I turned her down um, because my parents were pretty much a little bit more free-flowing. They allowed us to make a lot of our own decisions. So thanks mom and dad for that. Um, but I wish if I can go back and tell my 17-year-old self anything, it would be like, you should have got that help a little bit sooner because it took me, um, it uh, that 17-year-old self, I kind of felt like, I don't want to say I was too far gone. But I was like, things could have got handled a little bit sooner had I got the help when my mom asked me. But at the time, I didn't know, you know, anything about being hospitalized. I didn't know anything about going to a therapist. I had never talked to a therapist before. And so I was so nervous and scared about what that would look like. Um, but yeah, just definitely get help sooner. The sooner, the better. Yeah, I think a lot of us might look back and wish that we had had um, help sooner. And I think we all know that that helps with early intervention, we know leads to better outcomes long term in mental health. Um, but, you know, we have to be kind to our 12 year old self because our 12 year old self definitely doesn't always know better. Right. Um, I'm wondering, you know, it's interesting to me that your mom gave you the choice there. And I'm wondering if you could imagine a world where she didn't give you the choice. Do you think it, you know, what, what do you think of that situation? If you would have been forced into treatment at 12, what that, what that would have looked like? Um, I, you know what, I kind of feel like, I, I feel like maybe I would have been upset at her at the moment. I, both my parents, uh, my father, 
uh, it took him a while to come to terms with things that uh, he never said I had depression. He would always say, you know, my baby got the blues. He would just, he would just call it the blues. And I think, um, uh, you know, I would have appreciated it uh, in the long run. Maybe not at that moment, but probably my 17 year old self probably would have thanked her uh, for that because I definitely needed it. But like I said, at the time, I just didn't know any better. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then wondering what, you know, you know, it sounds like there was a little bit of back and forth with your treatment. There was different diagnosis, I guess. What made you get to the point of like, I'm going to accept my treatment plan. I'm going to take these meds. This is, this is like, I guess, when did you get kind of fidelity <laughs> to, to your yeah. treatment plan? Um, actually, when I started grad school, I was just like, you know, I, I was on Lexapro, but then I had stopped taking Lexapro and I was just like, I need to get back on Lexapro because depression is a part of bipolar disorder. Um, obviously, I was taking Abilify, um, which helped with my mood and things of that sort. So I was, grad school really pushed me to be like, okay, if you're going to do this and do it well, you definitely are going to need that help. Um, and addition to that, you know, I'm 26. I feel like, you know, girl, you get a little, you getting up there now, you know, time is ticking. <laughs> and so I was just like, you know, do I really want to be struggling how I'm struggling at 30 with this? So I was like, I need to get a handle on it now because eventually I, I see how I want my life in the next five to 10 years. And I don't want it to be like the moment that I had in Iowa. So that was my motivating drive to definitely get the help that I needed to get. Yeah, that's that's great. That's awesome. I feel like 26 too, it's such an age of like, well, especially now because of healthcare, you know, a lot of people get pushed off of their parents' healthcare at 26. Um, so were there just like steps that you took at that time to like, I, it's sometimes hard for folks to navigate. Was it like figuring out the right doctors and, and, and all that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, thanks to being a student at NYU, we actually get health insurance. So I was like, I need to take advantage of this because I'm not working right now and I get copay. So I felt like, uh, you know, why not? Uh, I just kind of reached out to the health department of NYU. They had a psychiatrist lined up for me. Um, and then I just kind of started that process of speaking to a psychiatrist. And then when it came to therapy, they actually recommended a therapy company for me and helped me with that process of finding a therapist. Um, and, and they have been um, amazing. Their name is uh, Bragan Barberson. And so I speak to them every Saturday at 2 p.m. And we have in-depth conversations. And so NYU really helped guide me to getting the help that I need. But I had to reach out to them to get that help. That is really good to hear because, you know, in our in our experience hearing from other young people um, who've needed support in college, it hasn't always been there. So can you say like a little more specifically, like what exactly the university um, has done that has been supportive that maybe other universities aren't doing? For sure. So when I applied to NYU, uh, from fact, I got a scholarship to come to NYU. So when I was going through the process of coming to grad school, moving from, I moved from Iowa to Atlanta and then from Atlanta to New York, I actually got an email from NYU about my health insurance. So they actually were very making sure that, okay, you have this in place. And then 
Um, I remember there was something about therapy on the insurance card or getting like mental health services on the, on the insurance card. And I was just like, oh, this sounds interesting. Like I, I wanted to continue therapy. And so I reached out to them and then they got me my psychiatrist. I went through an orientation. They asked me a series of questions, what kind of ther- uh, psychiatrist I wanted to speak to. Um, and they were just very uh, helpful in helping me find someone that I felt like was a match for me. Um, and so I did that. And then I told them I still want to continue therapy. And they were just like, well, there's NICAP um, NYC Affirmative, which is a therapy organization. And uh, we partner with them and we can get somebody there. And so they reached out to NICAP for me. And then I took it I took it from there, figuring out who would my therapist be. And that was pretty much that whole ordeal. But New York University, definitely, they make sure that your mental health needs are very well taken care of. That's That's awesome. That's super great to hear. I feel like everyone who's in the university space listening, we could probably take some notes because, yeah, I think it's kind of varies from university to university, but I think we we've definitely seen in the last couple of years, you know, college and, you know, even into our graduate studies can really be the time period where folks are getting diagnosed. Right. So it just, it's just like so important that like schools have really good mental health support. So I'm so glad to hear that you are getting what you need. So that's awesome. All right, cool. Um, I think as we kind of wrap up and get to a close, like the question we always usually leave folks off with is, what is something that you do for your wellness that you think other people should know about or what your favorite wellness tip is? Yes, my favorite wellness tip is I like to go on long walks. Um, I like being outside. I like the breeze hitting my face. I like being grounded in nature. It's just very helpful for my spirit because oftentimes I'm in front of a computer. I'm writing. I'm telling other people's stories. And so to kind of, sometimes they're sad. So sometimes to kind of break away from that, I like to take long walks to clear my mind. Um, I also have an adult coloring book which is a hobby that I picked up on from shout out to Target. I got a coloring book from Target. So I like to color my free time. It just, it brings out that inner child in me when life was just so much more simple and I was happy and everything was great. And so I like to color to kind of really just clear my head. And so walking, coloring, cooking, just things that keep you grounded and in the present moment um, is really helpful for me. And I think it would be helpful for other people too. Absolutely. Both of those things I'm absolutely such a fan of. I love adult coloring books. Um, Yeah, definitely wish I spent more time doing coloring. So thank you for saying that again as a reminder. Um, But yeah, definitely, definitely great wellness tips. Um, Sierra, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us. This letter is beautiful. Um, and I took so much away from it. I especially, um, love healing is there for you when you're ready. Um, I'm going to keep that with me for sure. Sierra, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to share with our audience? Um, I think we touched on everything. I would just say, you know, just go out there and, and, and get the help that you need. I mean, it, it's truly like, you know, I, I've had moments where I felt like, oh, these are the answers and they totally weren't the answers. And I'm like, 
you know, you don't want a permanent decision for temporary problems and feelings. And so I kind of feel like if you can get the help and you have that support system and you have access to that healthcare, definitely take advantage of that because there are a lot of people out there that don't. Um, and so I just think that the sooner the better for you to live a fulfilling life, like you can still live a good life despite your mental health struggles. Absolutely. We love that message here at DBSA. We know that people living with depression and bipolar can go on to leave incredible, very successful lives. And you are living proof of that, Sierra. So thank you so much again for taking the time, for writing this lovely letter, um, and for sharing your experiences with us and, and talking to me today. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. We have to do it again, for sure. For sure. Yeah. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Your reviews really help us out and we appreciate them. If you feel inspired and want to submit your own letter, head over to dbsalliance.org slash I'm Living Proof. This episode was hosted by DBSA Programs Manager Hannah Zeller and Digital Communications Manager Dante Freeman. You can support DBSA and more shows like this one by making a gift today head over to dbsalliance.org slash donate. Your support can help make sure that no one feels alone. Thank you.